you are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Indians fans. It is I, Jeff Ellis. Uh, Don't know why I decided to go with the weird formality, but I'm going with it. Today's show, we're going to talk about the loss. We're going to continue diving into some advanced numbers. We're going to talk about whose spin rate numbers are not going well uh, since the changes to the league. And yeah, I just I have a series of tabs open of things to talk about today. Uh, personal annoyance with the so far how things have gone. The Indians have yet to sign a draft pick. Now, it's not a big deal at all. This is literally just personal annoyance because... I would just like to see what uh, I want to see how this all shakes out. Uh, I will say it is not the one I am most intrigued to see. The most intriguing one is going to be Baltimore. Uh, I had earlier today no Pat chat today because when I typically talk with Pat, I was talking with Locked On Rays and doing a crossover with them to talk about the draft. And oh, I know there's people out there who are tired of me talking draft, but the crazy thing is. You know, there's been a lot of time where people are like the Indians are cheap and they're worried they're going to be under slot and with the draft. And they've always been one of the teams that have spent over slot every single year. Uh, the team that fascinates me is Baltimore because not only did they go massively under slot on five to draft, you know, a player that I had ninth on my board, but their second round pick, who I actually thought was a good value where they got him, Connor Norby was kind of in that group of next year college bats. He was the best of that grouping to me. I had him higher than uh, Zavalia, who went to Texas, and he was under slot as well in the second round. I don't like this. Felt like I was waiting for the Orioles, honestly, in the eleventh round of the draft. Will Taylor, the uh, two-way player from Clemson, so I, that's that's the most fascinating one. But the Indians haven't had anyone to sign as player sign. We will talk about them a little bit more. Uh, we just and that that'll be how we kind of come back around. Indians are still waiting on that. Uh, there was a release. So before we get into the game, let's let's take a second talk about Austin Wade, who the Indians let go. Uh, former Big 12 outfielder. The Indians have drafted a lot of players out of the Big 12. I was talking about this on Twitter. Uh, you might have noticed it. They didn't draft anyone this year, and part of me wonders it's because for a few years they're drafting one to two guys a year. Uh, they were big in like Kansas, Kansas State, but like there's multiple players through the years, through Kansas State in particular. And that program has put a lot of guys in the minors. It just hasn't put a lot of guys in the big leagues. Uh, Austin Wade was from TCU, and he got full freight uh, in the fifth round back in 2017. So he got almost $300,000. So I hope he saved up. The unfortunate problem for him is uh, here's a player who limited Cape Cod, was not good. First two years in college, was first year didn't play. Second year, eh, average. Had a strong senior year to a degree. He did walk a lot. Like, that's the thing you're going to look at with him. Why did the Indians value him was the walk rate, the walk percentage. But he also struck out a lot. So that kind of balances it. There wasn't any power to the profile even then. And in the minors, the best that had ever occurred for him was in 2019 at Lynchburg. He was more of a, you know, they gave him that money. And then there was health issues at points. And there were other things going on. Mostly health issues, and then you know production. 
ends his minor league career at the Indians over four seasons. 672 OPS, 333 slugging, 340 on base, 230 batting average. He kept on walking. He kept the walks going. Uh, got up to Akron this year. Had four games up in Akron before his release. Uh, they did a whole series of kind of pushing guys up a level. And Wade paid the price. They're going to be moving some more players up. He, as they sign these draft picks, I feel like we're going to see more players get let go. So Austin Wade is kind of the beginning. Well, you know, that's a lie. The beginning of the iceberg is some of the guys we talked about right before the season began. Uh, it's been a rough go for some fringy minor league players just with the loss of the affiliate. With no Mahoning Valley, the Indians drafted 19 pitchers. In the past, 18 of those pitchers would have been like split between three levels. Now they're split between two. So I, I expect we'll see some more things occurring sooner rather than later. And right now, like I said, it, it's just kind of interesting to see how it's going to develop with the Indians. Uh, specifically, I am very curious to see how their trade market develops. Uh, I still think they have to go out and make a trade at some point. Uh, tonight, you know, well, the second segment of the show, we'll get in the game tonight. But it was one of those games where it definitely, on full display, was a lot of the issues the team has had this year, a lot of the shortcomings, and, you know, also some positives. We'll get into the positives uh, of this one also. But again, we're going to save that for second segment. So let's talk about the New York Times. Not what you're expecting on the show, were you? You did not expect me to bring up the New York Times. So they released a list of the pitchers whose spin rates fell most after a crackdown on sticky substances. So who's had the biggest drops? Uh, they kind of went through, and their first one here is just pure RPM. Uh, James Caprillion, one. Trevor Bauer, two. Garrett Richards, three. Ta- and just one RPM lower, James Karinchak of Cleveland. Dylan Cease at five. Walker Bueller, six. Garrett Cole, seven. Tyler Molly, eight. Tyler Anderson, 9. Chichi Gonzalez of the Rockies, 10. That's right. Former Indian. Now, Trevor Bauer shouldn't be a surprise. He pretty much, as we talked about on this show, uh, you know, we won't get into the other issues with him right now. It's just best to not go anywhere near that uh, for the sake of the show. But just let's talk purely spin rate. He was letting the world know he was cheating last year. Like, he won a Cy Young, well, kind of letting everyone know the way his spin rates were peaking there was no other way around it the fact that all of a sudden he's dropped 243 rpms that's not a surprise you know you look at someone like james caprillion it's a big drop for him but he just doesn't have the pitching record uh with bauer you can see a drastic shift and that we'll see what the effect is on him karen chalk being down 205 is big as well and uh when you look at in, in this article, uh, percentage change and velocity adjusted change. So just a percentage change and what that would do to your velocity, the one who'd had the biggest drop. In that case, it goes Caprillion, then Dylan Cease, then Trevor Bauer third for the uh, velocity drop. Karen Chalk still f- is fourth. So it, it's a pretty significant one. Uh, names we didn't talk about yet also. Uh, Corbin Burns, Casey Mize, Drew Smiley. And Yusuke Kikuchi, Kikuchi. But yeah, I wanted to point this out because, you know, we talked about, we've talked about this all year. I mean, they went out and did this change for a reason. And Karen Chalk's amongst those listed here. 
and former Indian Trevor Bauer as well. It, I'd be curious to see how this continues to play out over the course of a season. If players will find new ways to skirt the rules or if this is just the way of it. I know Garrett Cole has been the face of this, but he is seventh in terms of raw spin change, seventh in terms of velocity adjusted change, and ninth in percentage change. Trevor Bauer is worse. James Karen Schock, Garrett Richards, James Caprillion, Dylan Cease, Walker Bueller. Those are the guys who are higher on that list. And it's, like I said, it's not surprising at all to see Bauer. Like, that should just be something that everyone expected would occur. Uh, I will be curious to see whether names pop up once we get a full season of data on this one. Our sponsor today is Wild Alaskan. We all know we should be eating more fish to get our omega-3s and protein, but the seafood counter can be intimidating. Which fish tastes the best? What type of cut? Can you be really sure about the quality and freshness? Wild Alaskan Company takes care of the guesswork out of buying seafood. You're used to having a lot of choices when it comes to what you eat, but it matters of where your food comes from. Get your nutrition from nature. The Wild Alaskan Company sources wild-caught seafood from Alaska and the Pacific Northwest. Do you like to order fish when you go out to eat, but never make it for yourself at home? Cooking restaurant-quality dishes at home starts with high-quality seafood and simple techniques from Wild Alaskan Seafood. Wild Alaskan delivers high-quality, and here's an important one for many people, myself included, sustainably sourced wild-caught seafood right to your door. That means they are doing this responsibly. Choose from salmon, white fish, or a combination. And every month thereafter, and every month there are different specials to explore. Wild Alaskan Company Seafood is how nature is is how nature intended to be. Always wild, never farmed or modified. It contains no antibiotics. You can adjust, pause, or cancel your membership anytime. They offer a hundred percent satisfaction, guarantee your money back. And right now you can get $15 off your first box of premium seafood when you visit wildalaskan.com slash MLB. That's wildalaskan.com slash MLB for $15 off your first box. If you love seafood, you should be taking advantage of this deal. $15 off, reliably sourced, sustainable seafood. Go to Wild Alaskan today. Okay, so talking about this Indians game. Now, I'll be honest, I didn't catch the beginning of the game as I mentioned, or honestly, the middle of the game. And by the time I turned it on, I turned it on right in time to kind of see it get completely out of control, uh, just in time for the home run. Uh, I am doing an archery class twice a week, uh, third in my group, and uh, score this past week, not to brag or anything, but totally to brag. So I didn't catch the very beginning. I feel like, you gotta start with Tristan McKenzie. In my notes for the show, I just wrote up, I'm like, oh, it was bad, Tristan McKenzie. It feels like this is a, you know, he's a pitcher of the extremes, right? It's either really good or really bad in his starts. There's not an in-between. There's not a lot of two and three run games of late. So we get rid of the April data. Let's go to May. Five runs given up, zero runs, five runs, six runs, zero runs, five runs, one run, zero runs, five runs, zero runs. I... You, you see what I mean? It's either he gives up a ton or he doesn't give up any. Uh, he's either the extremes are there. Now, I went and pulled up his baseball savant data, and it is ugly. There's no other way around. Now, he does have a good whiff percentage. He has a fantastic K percentage, which he had last year as well. He misses bats. Decent slugging, expected slugging. I think it's because, and expected batting average, because of the high whiff rate and that he has an okay chase rate. Problem is he has below average fastball velocity. He has below average fastball spin. 
His curveball has bottom shelf spin. Uh, and when you look at the breakdown here, you know, he's at 69%, 63% fastball, 18% curve, 16% slider. Uh, the slider is actually a, probably the best of the three pitches uh, based on the data in front of me. They look at just relative everything else, and he's thrown it the least. The fastball teams are teeing up. Average exit velocity, first percentile. It means he's at least tied for the worst in baseball in the average exit velocity on his pitches. Hard hit percentage. How hard is he getting hit? Tied for worst in baseball, or he's just the worst. I don't know. When it's first percentile, it, you're either tied for that one or you're on your own. He gets hit so hard, and he's not really fooling anyone. It, the one thing I'll say that surprised me was, oh, you know why? Because they didn't list his walk percentage. Because we've talked about his problems with command this year. I expected that to be very low as well. I don't know what to do. I honestly, having followed his career, now, you know, his, it's interesting. Similar pitchers based on velocity and movement. Ross Stripling, Zach Plesak, last year's version. Chase DeJong this year. Zach Gallen last year. Taylor Clark last year. Uh, it's, again, it's just looking at what McKenzie does in terms of his batted ball, ball profile. Chad Green last year, Matt Foster last year, Christian Javier this year, Ryan Stanek this year, and Tony Gosselin this year. Yeah, his pitches aren't having a ton of movement to them, and when you're looking at things like inches of drop versus average, it's almost all in the blue. His horizontal movement is not good. There's not a lot of movement on his pitches, which is part of the reason why he's getting hit so hard. He's got to be nearly perfect in his spots. And when you got the low spin and the low movement, that is why he is just he's getting lit up. Uh, but then he has those days where he's absolutely hitting his spots and you know he's mixing his pitches well and he's missing bats. He is, even though his stuff, you wouldn't think it, he's still, the data shows, missing bats. He is so long. He is so lanky. I'd love to see him just get stronger and fill out and see if that can help add a few more miles per hour, uh, improve his stuff at all. Right now, it's, you know, I've talked about before, when I sat there and did a Google search for Tristan, a pitcher with his measurements, none has ever existed in baseball history as a starter. There just hasn't been one. He is completely a unicorn. There's been no one who has done it for more than a season. Uh, the only pitcher who qualified was Jason Schmidt. And I believe I've talked about this on the show where I didn't tag him in that tweet. I just said, oh, the only pitcher, he the only pitcher I said was Jason Schmidt. He responded to that. Like, that was my high school weight. Uh, I was 230 by the time or 240 by the time I got to the big leagues at 6'5". Because that's just my high school weight. That stuff's always wrong. Uh, McKenzie is definitely not 220, 230. I just found it funny that Jason Schmidt... Uh, it's not like I have a huge reach. Like I, you know, I'm over 3,000 followers, but I'm not like not a huge one. And he somehow found that one and responded to it. But just to go back around, I don't know what you do. I don't know. In an ideal world, because of how maddeningly inconsistent, and because just he's getting hit so hard, it's gonna. You know, you can get lucky. Sometimes it gets hit hard and it just goes deep, but it stays in the park. But it, the harder hit ball, the more likely it is to fall in. And that's just the truth of it. That's why you look at the average exit velocity or the hard hit percentage or the barrel rate. And he's very low on all of those. He's setting himself up 
those show someone who's kind of setting themselves up for failure. Now, it's not by lack of a action. It's just by what is occurring when he pitches. It's more often than not going to lead to negative things. And I don't know, you know, I have, you know, some people get mad because I just, I've always kind of thought of him as more likely a relief arm. I still wonder about that as a future outcome going forward, just letting him shorten it up. Fastball slider, maybe just those two pitches, curve is an out. I mean, he barely touches his change as is. Uh, stuff could possibly play up in the pen. I don't know. But when everyone's healthy, you know, we have the, the three parts easy. You got Bieber, you got Plesak, and Savali. Your four or five are up for grabs, but I think Quantrell is probably one of them right now. Fifth spot, is it Eli Morgan? Is it Tristan McKenzie? Is it J.C. Mejia? Is it Sam Henches? Is it Scott Moss, who hasn't pitched since... I went and looked at this after I recorded yesterday. June 11th, because of his neck injury, he just... I mean, Moss has been uh, a disaster uh, with his health this year. Who do you want? Do you agree with me that Quantrell is locked into spot four? Do you think it is uh, Morgan at five? Or should this team be calling Pittsburgh and trying to, you know, get a J.T. Brubaker, who's got five years of control... Uh, away from them. Uh, we'll talk about Brew Baker maybe in the third part of the show. Let's get back into the game, though, now that I've really probably spent a little too much time on Tristan McKenzie. Uh, Bradley Zimmer back at the top of the lineup, one for five, two strikeouts. I don't love a guy who's going to be low production up there. I, I just don't. Uh, who reached base twice in this one? Well, they only had two walks. So Ernie Clement. You know, take a bow. Two hits and a walk for him. Harold Ramirez had a hit and a walk. You had two hits by Daniel Johnson, two hits by Cesar Hernandez, and, you know, Jose Ramirez rested, didn't play in this one for the Indians. Uh, Bobby Bradley's average continues to go the wrong way. He's definitely been scuffling uh, as his time up here has come. Now, I read a really interesting piece on him about when he got first called up. Basically, he could not hit a slider to save his life. He was actually doing a lot better against sliders this year. Uh, we'll see what he can do. But right now, you know, you look at him in, if I go advanced stats, just June versus July. Uh, he's been 152 runs created plus in June, 103 in July. You'll still take a 103. But he's his BAPIP in July is actually over 300. He's actually been lucky. I know that batting average has been declining, but it's declining while he has been lucky, which is weird. Uh, he's got a high bat pip on a 178 batting average, so I don't know what to make of that. Batting average is not the end-all be-all, but it is part of the equation. Hopefully, you know, he'll just get hot again, hopefully, and figure it out. I'm not saying replace him. Bobby Bradley should be the first baseman for the Indians until this season ends at least. Uh, Harold Ramirez, it's nice to see Daniel Johnson getting opportunities and starting to play better. We'll see what he can do, but the you got to admit, that's two solid games for him in the last three. Clement's only out there because no Jose Ramirez, but he had a fantastic game for them. Bullpen, you know, McKenzie was not great. Nick Sandlin was really not great either. Justin Garza, a player I had talked about in passing, is a roster option, a double draftee by the Indians. 
He's been their long man, essentially. Uh, it was Trevor Steffen's role. They've been trusting him a little bit more. Garza got him three and a third innings, four hits, zero walks, one earned run. Fantastic performance by him. Nine to three. That's your final score. 14 hits for Houston, nine for Cleveland. Total base runners, that little where I kind of compare line thing. Nine hits, two walks, that's 11. Uh, there was uh, no hit by pitches. So the Indians had 11 base runner opportunities. Other side of things, they had 13. If we don't count our wild pitches on the other side, uh, but you do count the hit by pitch. So there's just more opportunities, but they got you know nine run. Or I'm sorry, they had 14 hits. So I even started with the wrong number. So they had 17, 18 opportunities. So they got nine runs on their 18 opportunities. The Indians on their 11 only got three. Got to put things together a little bit more. Your three stars for the Indians. Who are the guys who you want to circle your out for playing well? Justin Garza. What a job by him in relief. One earned run over three and a third, four innings, no walks, just the one strikeout, but still, we will take the overall performance there. Ernie Clement, two for three and a walk. Good on Clement. That is a solid game by him. And then I'm going to go with Daniel Johnson. Yes, uh, I could have gone Harold Ramirez, who had a hit and a walk. Maybe I go with uh, Cesar Hernandez, who had an extra base hit, or Ahmed Rosario, who had an extra base hit. Daniel Johnson had two hits and the outfield assist. Let's give him credit for getting out Altuve at third base. This was a game that Altuve had two home runs, up to 22 on the year. Maybe I haven't paid enough attention to the Astros. I didn't realize he was up to that many home runs. The Indians, this was the one. This was another one I didn't trust. Luis Garcia, by the way been pitching very well for them over uh, the last almost calendar year. So it was a tough matchup. The whole series, I felt like this um, Wednesday game was probably the best matchup for the Indians. Uh, Mejia and McKenzie are definitely, you know, I've already talked about taking them out of the rotation. Clearly, I think they are the weakest part of the rotation right now. Now, Lance McCullers is a hard matchup for the Cleveland Indians. But Eli Morgan has pitched the best of this group. It doesn't get any easier. Right after this one, uh, it's Tampa. It is home for Tampa. And then St. Louis and then off to the White Sox. So it's, it doesn't get easier. There are two off days. That is the only kind of upside to it. Uh, the only you know things that can make it a little bit easier. And also um, the chance that uh, we'll start to see a few more players get healthy get activated, and help the Indians. And, you know, I'm sitting here recording on the 20th, soon to be the 21st. That means trade deadline's, what, 10 days away? I still think that there are trades that must be made. You know, I'll read um, Zach Meisel in The Athletic, and he's like, well, they have to make them before December. That's not true, because you have to lock in that 40-man well before the 40-man, before the Rule 5 draft. It gets locked in, is it like October-ish? might even be September-ish. You have to lock in your 40-man. And then, you know, making those trades after that point are, are more difficult. And a lot of teams, unless you have a spot to move someone into, uh, it, it just makes it, it's possible. But I, I think it's a little more difficult than that. And that's why you got to figure stuff out now. I mean, I was reading Meisel's piece, and, you know, there are people talking about Oscar Gonzalez. I, I've never included him amongst the players. I think you need to protect. 
But at the same time, Zach doesn't include Brian Levestita, who's someone like more he plays, I feel like you have to protect him because catching is so hard to come by. And a lot of teams find it very easy to sock away a backup catcher. Uh, Luis Torrens, who was a San Diego prospect, who they traded for Austin Nola. I believe that's how they got him. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, the thing with Gonzalez was he was a, a big number performer in AA, lots of home runs that kind of made him pop. I don't really think he's a protection candidate. If he gets selected, uh, I would be very happy, honestly, just because uh, he's never been a huge name prospect and it changes lives. Any player who gets selected, I'm going to be happy for just because it is a life-changing opportunity. Your money is never the same uh, in terms of how much you make once you've been part of a 25-man roster or even a 40-man roster for another organization. So I had a bit of a struggle today because I got three boxes of the Grasshopper Fudge upstairs for a built bar. Then they had to go and send me the offer. Lemon almond cheesecake was back for a limited time. And by the time I went there, it was already sold out. I was like, what? You can't taunt me like that and then take it away. Sold out in under 12 hours. That's how good these flavors are. You need to be on the mailing list if you want any chance to get lemon almond cheesecake. Right now, what are their deals over there? Free built travel cooler with every bar purchase. It's basically a little cooler for your built bars. Keep them cool in the car. I don't put mine in the fridge. Maybe I should start experimenting with this. You get a little cooler to keep your uh, your built bars in. Perfect for your lunch for work. Anything like that. It's a great little sized travel cooler. And even though lemon almond cheesecake is already sold out, they still have all those fantastic mixed flavors. Cherry barcia, double chocolate, raspberry, cookies and cream, salted caramel, mint brownie, coconut, orange, and strawberry. I love orange... Uh, mint brownie and salted caramel are probably my three favorites from that mix box. Cookies and cream is pretty good as well. Uh, orange, I believe, and strawberry are, are special orders. So if you want to get those, order them now. I love Built Bar. When you go to builtbar.com, use the promo code LOCKED15. Remember that is LOCKED15. They're great for you. They taste delicious. I love Built Bar. Everyone who tries them loves them. Check out Built Bar for yourself. Let's also talk about Fully Loaded Chew. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Fully Loaded Chew. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free long cut and pouches that give you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz you're used to without tobacco. Available in nine flavors, Fully Loaded Chew is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine available. Uh... It's the only moist nicotine pouch on the market. All their nicotine pouches are dry, white pouches. Nothing dips, spits, and packs like Fully Loaded. Fully Loaded Chew is offering the Locked On MLB team listeners a special offer right now. You can try for just a dollar. That's right, just one dollar. Go to FullyLoadedChew.com. Use the promo code Locked On, all one word. Just one dollar and free shipping if you use the code Locked On at checkout. The next time you go for a dip, make it Fully Loaded Chew. So I mentioned we talk a little bit about local boy JT Brubaker here uh, at the end. Local boy, University of Akron player, Pittsburgh Pirate pitcher. It is interesting he has more percentile ranked data than Tristan McKenzie. Uh, I know McKenzie's been a little up and down, but I still don't understand why he doesn't have everything listed. So Brubaker, his aren't mind-blowing. They are a little bit higher in the expected areas of like slugging and batting average. Uh, and it's lower in things like whiff, though his chase rate is higher. What's interesting is his walk percentage is in the red, as is his curveball spin. So you're getting better spin 
you're getting less walks, you're kind of getting with JT Brubaker, honestly, what I expected Tristan McKenzie to be as a starter. So he's, he's got a good baseline of data, which is part of the reason, again, why I'm kind of intrigued by him. But what adds a, an entire level of depth, I should say, is the Pittsburgh Pirates have been absolutely 100% god-awful at pitcher development. Uh, Mitch Keller has not come together as expected. A lot of the young arms in the system. It's funny to think back, you know, five to ten years when Ray Serge with Serge was there, and they, he was the pitching guru, and this team was ooh la la, like the great pitching developmental people. So much so that like his protege was traded for a pitcher, Trevor Williams, who ended up being a useful pitcher for the Pirates for a while, and now all of them are out of baseball coaching wise. But yeah, like I said, Mitch Keller was—he's been a big name. He's not done much there. Uh, the issues Garrett Cole had and how much he got better when he left. The number of pitchers who seem to hit a developmental wall, yes, there is a new front office in place. But remember, Brubaker came up last year. Most of his time in that system in development was under an old front office that was really bad at pitcher development. And this is what the Indians taught me. Find those organizations that do not do it well and see if you can do it better. Mitch Keller would be a great buy-low candidate. <laughs> this is a guy who was a top-20 prospect in all of baseball who somehow can't even find his way to being a fifth starter. Uh, you think about Chris Archer. Now, he got hurt, but also he unraveled a bit, and they couldn't help him in Pittsburgh. They didn't have the staff or the people to help him get it on, tra- on track. Tyler Glass now? Pittsburgh couldn't do it. Go through the, the list of pitchers. Uh, Musgrove did develop a little bit there. But, I, you know, for the most part, this is an organization that can't develop or cannot develop at all. So Brubaker, to me, is the ideal because you bring him in. He's already got that walk percentage that the Indians like. He's someone who does not put batters on base. Uh, there's, you know, the rest of the data looks like a back-end type of starter. You can get maybe four to five years of control. I mean, his most common comps are Jose Arrenia, Dakota Hudson, Zach Eflin, these aren't players that uh, make you have great confidence, I understand. Uh, and then the other areas, when you look at similar pitchers and batted ball profile, Frankie Montes, Jose Barrios, and Charlie Morton. Like That's a pretty good one, two, three. So there's some things there that are positive. He has some good movement on his, which one is this, on his slider. Uh, we already talked about his curveball has good movement as well. So he's got good movement on his pitches. It just... See if there's more to get there. See if you can unlock a little bit more. 27-year-old pitcher, I believe four to five years of control at this point in time. I still think if you're going to go for a starting pitcher on the market, he's the ideal. You know, Pittsburgh feels like they can build around Brian Reynolds. Great. Don't go for him. Go for Brubaker. So as we continue to go closer to the deadline, I'll, I'll kind of point some names out, throw them out there, and kind of do the old eye and stat test. I know we just talked about Quantrell and uh, Morgan. Brubaker's going to be likely better than either of those players. Let's be 100% honest. And you're getting him for multiple years of control. Head over very quickly here to the trade value site. And while it's a deeply, deeply flawed site, it's interesting to look at. They have him at 18.5 in value. So that would, you know, I had someone saying you know too much again. Uh, comment on how I'm always trying to trade Brian Ricoyo. It's just because they have so many infielders. He's the one that I am the lowest on of that group. Uh, comparative to the general consensus. It's a classic case of 
value analysis. If everyone else is high on him and I am low, then of course I want to trade him because he's going to net more because other people are high on him and I do not see that. But it would cost them like him plus a piece, probably two other pieces. I, again, I'd be all for it. I'm curious to hear what other people think. Uh, I'm all for adding more pitching. Uh, in If you send an interesting pitcher back in the deal, uh, do we feel precious about a Mejia or a Henches? I, I don't feel as much. Uh, so I know people are going to want a hypothetical deal. So we'll end with a hypothetical deal. You ready? So here's the trade. Here's what I offer. I offer Sam Henches and Brian Rocoyo. Two for one. Opens up one of your spots on the 40-man for Brew Baker, and then it gets rid of a player that you would have to add to your 40-man roster. There might be ways to do it even cheaper. If you look at someone like Aaron Bracho, should we see if we can break it down, maybe trade a few more players, but uh, save some upside. So when we change things out, we get rid of Rocoyo, we go down to Aaron Bracho. Uh, the players to include, instead of uh, Henches, we up the value of the pitcher going the other way with JC Mejia. So there is a replacement pitcher in the deal. And then Carlos Vargas, who is hurt, but he's a, a, he has never performed well in the minors. Uh, he was not a great performer two years ago, and then we had offsite, and then we had injury. People love his stuff. He is a pure ceiling bet, but he is just not been able to show anything. In this case, though, three spots for one, essentially, when you're comparing it to the end of the year. Which trade do you prefer? Which one is the one that is more uh, palatable? You know, the the site is not perfect. And I was going through, and I wish they'd update it. They're very low on, like, Benson, Benson and Palacios, and we know that those are players whose value have definitely increased. But it just gives an idea. It's a fun tool slash game to play around with more than it is fact-finding. I've been Jeff Ellis. This has been the Locked on Indians podcast. Remember to rate and review, download daily. It helps. Uh, it's great content for free, right? People enjoy listening, so make sure you're downloading every day. It's huge. Leave a review. That's huge. Get a friend to listen. Any of that stuff. I greatly, greatly appreciate all the help. And, you know, uh, I still I didn't get any feedback. So let me know. What do you want me to do with that second part of the Jason uh, Burke conversation? Do people want it? Do people not want it? Uh, and I'm just going to dump it on Saturday right now. That is the plan. If I don't hear from anyone, you're going to get a last part of my conversation from on, from last Friday on this Saturday. is a bonus episode, so check that out. And for the next year, maybe two, go Tribe.